Hello, and that's a very warm welcome to the first ever episode of Running the World. In this podcast, we'll take a closer look at women's football in some other parts of Europe. My name is Sunny, and I'm from Germany. My name is Salvatore Boemi, and I'm from Italy. My name is Alexandra, and I'm from Spain. And in this episode, and our first ever episode, actually, we will start by looking a bit closer at the Bundesliga in Germany. So coming up today, we will talk about the anniversary of the Bundesliga and the official introduction of women's football in Germany. And later, we will also speak about the Clash of the Titans in the German League right now. And obviously, we will also have a look at what's happening in the leagues in Spain and Italy. 2020 is a bit of a special year for women's football in Germany. It's the 50 years anniversary of women's football being officially recognized by the DFB, which is the German Football Association. And it's also the 30 year anniversary of the launch of the Bundesliga. Our podcast colleagues from Legende Verloren have done more research into German women's football than probably anyone else. I caught up with Franzi Blendin, Alan Hanisch and Sascha Dürkop to learn more about how the official introduction came about and how things have been going since then. It was about that there were women's teams in Germany, but they weren't allowed by the DFB. And so there was football and the DFB was in fear of losing control about women's football or an area of football. So um, after the unofficial world championship in 1970 in Italy, the discussion about allowing football was getting more media discussion. The main point was Germany sent actually an unofficial national team to that World Cup in Italy and the media, including the the national media, reported about that tournament and they reported quite positively for the time as well and thousands of fans came. That unofficial national team played a friendly match close to Munich and about 5,000 fans came so it was sold out. People were really excited about that new sport which wasn't new at all but Just the fact that women do play football was very exciting for for many people. So a public debate started and the FA basically had no further chance to to ban it any longer. At the beginning, it was not very easy for the women because they weren't allowed to play normal. Like they were only allowed for, I think at the beginning, 60 minutes, later 80 minutes. There were all the time debates about whether they should wear special things and they couldn't wear normal football shoes because they weren't allowed to. They had to play with the smaller balls and they didn't have the normal seasons. They had like half a year pause between the seasons. At the beginning, at the 70s, they only could play against people from the same region. And for example, Monika Koch-Emsermann, the coach of the FSV Frankfurt from 1972, was like telling me that it was very boring to (laughs) play only against all the same teams and it was not that easy. But there were a few persons who were really, really, really uh, into this women's football and they really tried to change different things and uh, they made it like at the end, 1990, with the start of the first Bundesliga. They divided it into two regional sections in the beginning. In 1997, they uh, joined both of the sections, so uh, they created the Bundesliga, how uh, it still is, with 12 teams. They hoped this could have created more, like a boom or something, so more people get involved and it becomes more professional. But that didn't really happen <laughs> for, for quite a long time. So the only thing that happened was that smaller teams got into financial trouble because they had to travel further. Not a lot has been done no, to, to promote it. I, I think restrictions have been lifted. So 
women can now wear studs under their boots like every other footballer and they have the normal sized balls and play over 90 minutes but that's about it like they play football as it is ruled internationally but apart from lifting restrictions not a lot has actually been done very proactively the spectator numbers are lower than in the first season for some of the Bundesliga clubs today it's still not on national TV. You can't really watch the matches on TV, even if you want to really hard. It isn't really promoted by the FA, at least the league. The national team is, but the league really isn't promoted a lot. So the inequality is still there, and I think far too little has been done over all these years. Uh, the big men's clubs, they should promote their women's teams. They have big websites, so just put them on there, make them visible. Some clubs do that, so like Wolfsburg, for example. Wolfsburg Bayern is getting better at it, and I think Frankfurt is also good at promoting their women's team. They have the funding. I mean, they have a lot of money, those clubs. So I don't really get why they don't do it. It is basically invisible. It's not even in the local media. You might find it on the last page somewhere, two lines about the match. If you want to follow it, it is just really, really hard. It is impossible to get live scores of half of the matches. It is impossible to watch most of the matches. Even if you are happy to pay for it, it is hard to find any stream and in some cases just impossible. So basically all you have is following Facebook accounts of these teams, but you need to be very proactive about it. You will never hear about it if you don't really want to. And even if you really want to, it's really hard to follow it. If you discuss with people, it always feels like that you talk about football and everybody talks about men's football. Football is men's football. And everything which is not football is women's football. And then you have to say women's football and you have to ex edit extra. A lot of media resources, also the DFB, are a feeling of women's football is an extra thing. It's extra work. It's extra to do. It's something that it's not main football bubble. This is one of the problems, I think, with the, with the visibility. And it's because I think the people are like this internal sexism. Women's football is something extra. Women's football is not football. Yeah, and I would like to, to add that this is structural. Like, if you look at the board of the German FA... You have somebody responsible for youth football, somebody responsible for media, somebody for even old people's football. There is an old guy for that on the board, but it always means men. And then you have one board member who is women's football. This includes youth, the Bundesliga, all amateur leagues, all tournaments, old women's football. So like literally everything is one person and all the other 24 are just concerned with a man's match. That's just structural given from the FA and triggered down to the media and everything else. Sometimes there's big coverage um, of certain topics of women's football, but they are always not related to the actual sports so you will you won't really find match reports or, or something so the things you want to see i would still say the bundesliga is one of the best leagues in the world it is competitive what we see now is is um, international players no one of them even thought about uh, joining the bundesliga it has a lot to do with visibility because 
I mean, they could play in, in a good league and they could have really competitive games and everything, but nobody will really be able to watch it. And even maybe they could, their, their national coaches couldn't uh, or wouldn't, wouldn't be able to watch their players play. So why would they join the Bundesliga? We actually made a step back in many regards. So the, the average audience numbers in the stadiums are sometimes lower than 30 years before. Now it isn't unusual to find a Bundesliga match with 50 spectators. That was unthinkable in 1990. Like they all had 300, 400 spectators. Last but not least, also the media coverage. And for some clubs, for the first seven years, you find a full half-page match report about every single match they have, which just focuses on the sport and about the 90 minutes of play, analyzing it just like you would expect football coverage to be. And this is really, really hard to find today. A big thanks again to the crew from Legende Verloren. They're doing an amazing job and their podcast is well worth a listen. If you enjoyed this, I very much recommend that you check out our long-form audio feature with these guys. There's a lot more detail about how women's football in Germany has been progressing so far, where it stands now, and there's also a wee look forwards to the future. That feature will be coming your way right here very soon, so watch the space. Now guys, what I'm wondering is, what has their history of women's football in Spain and Italy been like? Actually, I did a little bit of research before doing this podcast and I found a fun fact that apparently like the first female football team that we have in Spain was in 1941 that was made in Barcelona and it was called actually Spanish Girls Club, like with an English name. But that is kind of like weird because you don't imagine that in Spain they will create a group like a female football club with an English name. But actually, everything started in 1988. I'm getting really like dates here. I did my research. <laughs> so yeah, everything started in 1988. And there was like, it was the first time that they put nine female teams together and they did a competition and they did all this without like any visual help. Because as you know, there is a huge difference between female football and male football. So in this case, it was nine teams in Spain. They decided to do a competition all together and just play because they wanted to. That surprised me because there was not female teams before. It's the first time that they do it and they don't have any help, like money-wise, visual-wise, like anything at all. They just did it because they want to. So that is how like everything started a little bit in Spain. What about you, Salvatore? Thank you very much. The Women's Football Liga Serie A called Calcio Femminile Serie A in Italy. It was founded in 1968, so 52 years ago. Just now, in 2020, there are 12 teams and Juventus and AC Milan are at the top of the league. A whip of history, the most titles championship has been Torres with seven titles. Torres is a wee town in Sardinia. Who made the history in the Italian division as a Scottish woman called Rose Relli. Uh, she played with seven teams, with AC Milan, with Catania and uh, Tavagnacco and a lot of other teams. And she won also a World Cup and is the most top goal scorer ever. Just now, there are two Scottish football players, Lana Cleland from Tavagnacco and Christy Grimshaw from AC Milan. Lana Clendon also, she became a top scorer two years ago with Tavagnacco, and just now she's playing with Fiorentina. 
actually it's so cool that there's like such a variety of like women's football teams and that actually what I can see from you speaking there's like a, a lot of you right now compared to before yeah to be honest yeah there is a lot of competition and because they are receiving fundings because finally the PGC which is the Italian Federation in 2018-2019 merged the Serie A Women's Championship with the Women's Serie B and so I think now is much more important because they are receiving much more fundings and also the Serie A now Calcio Femminile is in the top eighth of UEFA Women's League and there are two places qualified for the UEFA Women's Champions League. So I think that just now in Italy, women football has recognized rather than the past and as an opportunity to work for football players, of course, but also to receive much more coverage rather than the past because Just now, for example, Juventus, they won three Serie A Scudetto, so Italian title in a row, and now at the top of the league, and they're receiving good, good money from like the Juventus team, so from the actual board. Now, I think it's really interesting that you say that because in Germany, women's football, in terms of coverage, has actually gone backwards quite a bit. And I think that is really, really interesting because right now we have so much more possibilities in terms of covering sport. You know, you have web shows, you have social media, you have television, never mind. And there hardly is any coverage of women's football in Germany. And if it is covered, it's hardly ever about the sport. And I think Italy is probably being a role model then in this case, because in Germany, there's hardly any coverage at all. And really, that's a shame because the league is really, really exciting these days. Alex, what would you say is the situation like in Spain right now? Actually, in Spain, is the opposite. We still need to work, of course. Like, it's definitely not in the level that we all wish. Female football doesn't have that coverage. There is, like, not many advertisements for it and everything. But female football in Spain started growing up in 2015. From that year, we don't know why, everything started going up and up and up. Right now, I don't know if you ever hear about Iberdrola. Well, is that like an electricity company that they have a lot of money? Well, they just found like the Spanish female club. So they just like um, give them money and they also paid for having a contract with the TV industry until 2022. That, that is kind of crazy because years before you couldn't see female football in TV. That was like, it was really hard to find it. You had to pay like an extra money for like that channel or anything. That's why I feel that in Spain is growing up and is winning like a lot of championships just because they're giving them access and opportunities. Absolutely. For example, in Italy, Juventus Fiorentina Women Football League at the Allianz Stadium in Turin in March 2019 registered 40,000 spectators. So it uh, was the record and was broadcasted by Dazon, which is in partnership with Sky Italy. And that uh, was a milestone for women's football. Since that day, Italian women football has different coverage. At the end of the day, they are promoting a game that overall, football overall, is seen by almost 4 billion people worldwide. Doesn't matter if it's man, doesn't matter if it's woman, it's still football. In the one-up to this episode, the top of the table clash went down in the Bundesliga, and we could have a bit of a change of guard on our hands here. Wolfsburg, who you may well remember from their Champions League match against Glasgow City last season, have been winning the league quite comfortably in the last couple of years. However, right now, they're sitting second in the table. Bayern Munich really turned up the heat and are unbeaten so far this season. 
When these two teams met about two weeks ago, Bayern took a dominant 4-1 victory. As I just mentioned, Bayern have meant business since the start of the campaign, but this win is by far the biggest one yet. They've been brutally efficient, they stayed composed under pressure, they didn't necessarily play the better football, but they made everything out of the chances they got. And that's the sort of quality that took Wolfsburg to their titles in the past seasons. Now, I'm going to word this quite dramatically now, but if you want to break a serial winner, that is precisely what you need to do. So what do you think uh, will happen in the future? Now, that, Salvatore, is a very good question. Right now, Bayern are the best team in Germany. That's how it is. They have an incredible depth in their squad. Even when they have players out injured, which actually is the case right now, it doesn't matter because they have the depth to make like-for-like changes. Wolfsburg can't do that. In fact, as part of the situation right now, they have injuries in the squad and don't have that sort of cover. Once these players come back and Wolfsburg return to full strength, who knows what's going to happen, really? A lot of matches are still to be played, and we've seen bigger points leads being dropped in the past. For now, though, Wolfsburg are the hunters, and that's a rule they're not used to at all. The last time they suffered defeat with such a margin was five years ago against Turbina Potsdam, but now they have to accept that they are not in a place to become champions at their own efforts. They need Bayern to drop points as well. The upcoming Champions League campaign and the busier schedule that comes with it may have an impact as well, but for now, at the moment, we're looking at a rising force that's on the absolute top of their game and a slightly weakened serial winner, and that will be really exciting to follow. So what I'm wondering is, is there anything like that in the leagues in Spain and Italy right now? Any really big duels between top teams or is it more of a really balanced competitive league back there? Absolutely, Sunny. Thank you very much for your German insight. In Italy just now, uh, Juventus are the top league. They're unbeaten and they won three Scudettos in a row with also an Italian Cup and a Super Cup. So Juventus, I think, are on the verge to win also this league. But an underdog that could be mentioned at AC Milan, they signed good players, one from Brazil, Vero Boquete, which is a Brazilian striker, and I think should be a great addition to the team. And the third place is Sassuolo. They played the last five games, they won four and they lost one. To be honest, now I can't see any football team that could compete with Juventus AC Milan. Another football team they are doing not so well are Inter Milan, called Inter Woman. Regina Baresi is the star. She's the star of the team, but I think she's injured. And Inter Milan, in the last five games, they drew two, they won two, and they lost one against AC Milan for 4-1. So I think, that, to be honest, the competition is between Juventus and AC Milan. In Spain, I'm going to go more like direct to the main two top teams that I will say like the competition in Spain is like, of course, all the teams are working hard to get somewhere, <laughs> let's say it that way. But of course, probably everyone that listened to this podcast, they know who Barcelona team is, who Real Madrid is. Well, funny thing is that the top two female football teams are Barcelona and the second one is Atletico de Madrid. It's kind of funny because like normally is the most famous teams that everyone knows that they're normally in the top. And I think, again, it's because of the how like good the access that they have and how they train and everything. But again, like I feel for all the female football teams that I watch play, all of them, they're super good. But I'm agree that Barcelona and Atletico de Madrid, they're in a different level, let's say in the top level. 
I think we have a bit of a common theme here, you know, where you have a league where there's maybe one, two teams that are really dominating. First of all, I want to say I don't think that's an issue with women's football. I think that is quite a common phenomenon across football. You know, even just look at the Scottish Premiership. However, looking at the Bundesliga in specific, you know, it's very much Wolfsburg versus Bayern right now. But even still, the league is very competitive. There's a lot of teams that on a good day can put a really good fight to those two teams. They can win games. There's always a surprise on the cards there. One of the big problems is that the gap between the first, say, six teams and the bottom six teams is massive. And that is because the second tier is extremely underfunded. So what happens is these teams in the second tier have a lot less possibilities to train, to develop, to hire players and so forth than the teams in the top tier. So whenever you get promoted, you get relegated and whatsoever, the level and the quality between the top teams and the lower teams, even in the Bundesliga, is always going to be massive. And that has been an issue for a couple of years now. And that's something that maybe needs to be changed to make things a bit more competitive. You know, you're probably still going to have your one, two, three, maybe four teams that battle it out at the top in the very end. But there's a lot you can do to just make it that bit more competitive. To have more teams that could just bring a bit of a surprise, maybe take some points off those leaders and just make things a bit more interesting, a bit more exciting. That makes me have two different feelings. And one of them is happy and the other one is sad. The happy one is that I'm quite happy that there is more female teams. The competition is getting so big because every time there is more and more and more. And that is a great news because that means that females are less worried to play sports, whatever sport you're playing. But at the same time is what you said. The sad feeling is that there is a huge difference between the top and the last. That means money-wise. If you're in a good uh, team that is really known, you're going to have a lot of sponsors. You're going to have a lot of like money involved in that team. Meanwhile, if you're in the last six, there is not enough money to get to the top because there is no, let's say, nobody interested in funding you because you're not known. So that is why I have like opposite feelings. But at the same time, I'd rather stay with a good feeling of there is more females playing sports. I agree with you, girls. The most important thing, as you mentioned, is attracted new people to play this game because they're athletes, because they need to, money-wise, they need to be funded. And uh, to attract these people, you need to create teams, you need to create fundings, you need to create coverage. You need to invest in those players. And if you create a team, you could compete. For example, in Scotland, now we are talk- we talked about Glasgow City. Glasgow City from 2002 won 13 titles. Why this happened? When you have this competition, team that maybe they are behind, they want to overtake this team. So they are spending good money. They are signing good players to try to face this team. This one happened in football. It's not about woman or man. This happened in football in any sports. Because if you compete at that level for 10 years and you win and you win and you win, then there will be a team behind that wants to beat you. And this one is the competition that we want. And this is the competition that Women Football League has to do. For example, in Italy, there are 12 teams. In Scotland, there are eight teams. But this one is good because if you could increase the amount of teams that are played in any country, it means a worldwide, everybody they could benefit from. Yeah, it's the same in Germany, actually. We also have 12 teams in the Bundesliga. And I'm just looking at the table and their matches right now. So Bayern Munich is just sitting at the top. And they've won all of the last five games. 
at the very bottom of the league table, there's the MSV Duisburg, and they've lost all of their last five games. So that that really that shows you the difference that there is in quality. In Spain, the thing is that we have 18 teams. So yeah, imagine like if with 12 teams there is like a huge difference. I cannot imagine with 18. That has to be crazy. Right, guys. So what I think we can take from today is that a lot has been done. Some places more than in others. There is still quite a lot to do. But even still, I think there's a lot of reasons to follow women's football in a couple of places in Europe. Totally agree with you. Definitely, there's still things to work and fix and change. But I think we're doing a great job. And little by little, female football is getting their own image in the TV industry. For next uh, episode, we're going to be more concentrated actually in Spanish female football. And we're lucky to tell that we're going to have an interview with two Spanish players in the Celtics. So that is going to be a good thing to hear. And I'm super excited to do that interview. Hopefully all of you enjoyed this podcast. We did it with a lot of love. (laughs) And hopefully you have fun. And yeah, that was me. That is Alexandra Silverton from Spain. Salvatore Buemi from Italy. And Fanny Vurich from Germany.